Let's uh, go to the Gospel of John. I'm going to read from two chapters, not all of the chapter, but just some verses from chapter 9 and then uh, uh, the first 10 verses from chapter 10. <coughs> and uh, one of the things I, I asked the pastors to do is to be careful to, to speak up and articulate each and every word because I, I know because of what, one of my ears now, my hearing is, is a little questionable until I get some help if I can. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I miss some words that they speak. And it's frustrating because you can't always fill it in. It gets gapped, you know, and, and you're missing stuff. And I don't like to miss anything. So if, if you don't hear me well, I, I, I want the mic up. I want my voice uh, <clears throat> ubiquitous all around. That's why we have microphones. I'm not uh, Whitfield where he could speak to a crowd of 25,000, and the person at the very back can hear as if the person in the front can hear. That's how his voice carried. Most of us are not gifted like that. But I want you to hear this, the reading of God's Word from chapter 9. And I'll try to speak clearly, carefully. Verses 1 through 7, verses 39 through the through 41, and then right into chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. So let's first begin at uh, chapter 9, verse 1. This is uh, the Word of God, and it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's gospel precious. These, that's, they're called the Gospels for a reason. The gospel, gospel of life is... Is written about and heard. So let's hear it. Chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There was a common belief among the disciples and among the Jews and many others as well. They associated uh, bad happenings and uh, sicknesses and illnesses with sin. Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation, sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. And skipping down to verse 39, And Jesus said, 
for judgment I've come to this, into this world, that they which see or see not might see. And they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. Verily, verily, I say to you, He that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spoke Jesus to them, but they understood not what things they which he spoke unto him. Then said Jesus to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. May God bless his word to our hearts. Once again, Lord Jesus, we are are thankful to be here tonight. Once again in this day, this great day, the Lord's Day, to, uh, to hear your word. Uh, to hear it twice, to worship you, two services, uh, to keep your day, keep it holy. So may we continue to keep it holy this evening hour, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Now, I want to be, begin, uh, this is uh, uh, Peterson, it's a small commentary, getting to know uh, John's Gospel, and uh, he points out that in the Gospel of John there are seven I am sayings. Now he's talking about I am the sayings, I am the sayings. He's not talking about, for example, in John when Jesus says uh, to, uh, to the teachers that uh, before Abraham was, I am. That's a different saying. Although all these I am the sayings point back to that saying, because what Jesus is saying when he says, before Abraham uh, was, I am, he was saying, I'm God, because that's what God said of himself when Moses said, Who, uh, Whom shall I say sent me? They, they won't believe me uh, that I, that, you know, you said this to me and that I'm carrying your message. Whom shall I say? 
And God said to Moses, say to them, I am sent you. So Jesus is, is certainly in the I am uh, before uh, Abraham was I am saying that I am God. Uh, so, but you know that, right? But here are the I am the saints. Now there are seven of them in the Gospel of John, nine in the Gospels themselves, but seven here. And, uh, but they, all, they, they fall into three categories. Okay, I just list them. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate, or in what you just heard, the door. Same, same thing. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And these seven... I am the statements, if you would, fall into three or under three categories of teaching. Jesus is the revealer of God. I am the truth. I am the light of the world. He reveals God. Jesus is the Savior. I am the way. I am the gate, or I am the door, the way. And then Jesus is the giver of eternal life. I am the life. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And to add the other two, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. So all these I am the statements in the Gospels and the seven in the Gospel of John speak to these three categories. And we have all three in the two passages you heard from. Now, I didn't read all of them, but if I did, you have the I am uh, light, uh, I am door, and I am good shepherd, right? The way, the truth, and the life. See that? So, I I want to... uh, to get into that a little bit by connecting these two, these these two chapters, there's a connection here. In fact, one commentator points out that if you read verse forty-one, when Jesus said to them, "If ye were blind, ye should have no sin," but now ye say, "We see; therefore your sin remains." And then, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. By the way. When you see that, verily, verily, that's in a, a, the way that the Hebrew emphasizes something. Like when we say, uh, really, I, I truly mean it. I really, really mean it. Uh, so, so the emphatic is there. Truly, truly, amen, amen, verily, verily, I say to you. There's a connection here. Plus, if you look at verse 21, and I didn't read that, but if you look at verse 21 in John chapter 10, it says, Others said, These are not the words of him that has a devil, because Jesus was accused by the Pharisees of doing the works that he did by a devil, by a demon. But then they're arguing here, the people that know the blind man was healed of him, can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Referring back to the blind man that was healed by Jesus. And so, 
I want to talk about the uh, the the uh, the light and the door a little bit and how they relate. Then I want to speak of uh, the door implies, and this is from a, a pastor Lanning. He points out that the door applies uh, mediator; that Jesus is a mediator, and how does that connect? And then I want to talk about Jesus Christ, the mediator. I want to first define what a mediator does, and then who Jesus is as the mediator. And we're going to read something from our uh, our confession. Then the plan, and then uh, the... Uh, the connection between the light and the door, seeing the door, seeing the door, how it connects these two, these two chapters together. So as I, as I pointed out, they are together, although some think that one was done at the Feast of Tabernacles, the other was done at the Feast of Dedication, that's three months apart, two or three months apart. But the, the reference to the blind man in verse 21 of chapter 10, referring back to chapter 9, indicates that these two things go together, whether in, in, they were in time, one after the other, or John brought them together to, put some, uh, to, to make them match and to make them meet and to show that they, they relate to one another through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, probably this uh, this came also uh, verily verily or amen amen or truly truly does not come as an introduction to a new discourse but usually is part of a discourse. So it's just part of the say, the continued discourse that he was having in chapter nine. <clears throat> and we note that the man born blind. Right? Going back now to chapter 9, Jesus passed. He saw the man. He was blind from birth. Now, now this is solid blindness. Right? This is, there's no doubt about it. All the people that knew him, his parents, and they all knew he was blind from birth. He never saw a thing. Maybe shadows, shades of light or something like that. But he was never able to see. In fact, I think that that's why Jesus uses the spittle and, you know, makes that, that mud, that clay, and puts it on the eyes, is a reference, a hearkening back to the fact that we were created out of the dust. And so Jesus is actually creating a useful or a working eyeball by doing that. But... Others think they they don't, they don't point that out at all. Uh, some uh, was, would say that the uh, Jews hated the idea of, of spitting uh, they, they, that offended them, and so Jesus spits and makes clay and puts it on the eyes. And a lot of the uh, the pagans and the uh, idol worshippers use this as making charms, magical charms with spittle. And so Jesus is sort of doing an in-your-face kind of thing. I don't think so. But, uh, but rather, he's harking back to the fact that we are of the dust. And we are made from the dust. And he puts this clay on and actually creates, or begins to create, 
uh, new eyes and sight for this man. The other thing, too, is that it says here in verses uh, <clears throat> 4 and 5 that I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, uh, night, when night comes, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, this was an offense because Jesus was healing this man on the Sabbath. And uh, he's saying that the works of mercy... The works of love never stop. God never stops. It's 24-7. So there's a, the, the Sabbath does not contravene on the works that we must do for the Lord and for the glory of God, even on the Sabbath day. I'm not talking about driving a cab around or doing your lawn or something like that, but this is an act of mercy. This is an act of healing. This is an act of helping somebody that's in need. And that's never forbidden. And then he went, uh, spoke, uh, he spat on the ground and made clay and spittle. And then he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which uh, by interpretation means sent, because Jesus was sent. Sort of a play on words here that the, 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 the pool itself means sent. And... Uh, one that's sent to this pool is the blind man. But Jesus also the sent one from heaven, from God. And he's sent here to do this very thing on the Sabbath day. To bear witness to himself, to his power, to his authority, to his godliness. And so this blind man goes to the pool of Siloam. And it probably conjured up in the Jewish mind when Elijah sent Nahum the leper to bathe in the Jordan seven times and come up clean. Jesus tells this one to go to that pool rather than another place and you will be clean, you will see. You'll be able to see. If he had gone to another place, he wouldn't have been able to see. What is that implying? What is that teaching us? That we must obey the word of God. We must listen clearly and succinctly. We must understand and obey it and not try to modify it or tweak it, which is what a lot of people do. And I have given you examples of this. When, for example, a boy meets a girl and they fall in love, which is a silly statement, but they fall in love. But the boy is not a Christian. But the girl says, well, maybe he is. He doesn't reject Christ. He doesn't say anything bad about him. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't know much about the Bible. He doesn't read the Bible. He doesn't go to church. He hasn't gone to church for years, perhaps forever. And, uh, but he, he says he believes, he says he's a Christian. You see, we fudge. God says not to marry an unbeliever. Period. Doesn't mean you're not going to be saved. It doesn't mean you're going to be judged and damned to hell if you do, because plenty of Christians, you know, I know, have done just that. 
But you see, we need to obey exactly what God commands. And if we don't, we're not going to be blessed. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. If we understand the Word of God, if we don't understand the Word of God and we do something, then we sin anyway. But if we understand the Word of God and we go and fudge and tweak and twist and all that, we're worse off. We have compromised. Uh, And Jesus says, He who knows and does not do is going to be judged more severely. So you know better, especially being in the Reformed faith, Reformed church, you know better. If you know and you do not do exactly what I say, you might not be judged to eternal damnation, but you're not going to be blessed like you should be. This man, he did exactly what Jesus told him. He went to the pool. He washed off the mud or the clay. And immediately he sees, did you ever have a surgery, an eye surgery? You know people that have. Some have had cataract surgeries. And, uh, you know, I know when I get my eyes checked, just get them checked and they dilate the pupils and all. You have to wear glasses for a while. You can't, you know, look into the bright, bright light immediately. And, uh, you know, some people call it the the miracle of medicine when the surgeon can uh, surgically fix a person's eye so that they can see they were almost blind and then they have surgery done and they can... They can see, but it takes time for them to, to see. They can't just immediately see. They have to have, be bandaged, and they have to take the bandage off slowly, and they have to have a dim light and all this. It takes some time for them to adjust and start making out images and all this stuff. This did not happen like that. The man, when he washed in the pool there, and the pool has no magical power, is what Jesus' word had the power. He told them what to do. The man did it according to his word. And he immediately saw. Immediately. For the first time in his life, he saw everything that was by him and in front of him. This was a bona fide miracle. Truly, truly. A, a wonderful miracle. <clears throat> And then, coming here to this uh, chapter 10, we're talking about the door. Uh, John is talking about the door and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, where he, uh, he says in verse 7, Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say, or verily, verily, I say to you, I am the door of the, uh, of the sheep. And, uh, well, there, there's some differences of opinion what that means. But when Jesus says, I am the door, we ought to take him at his word. And simply understood, it means that I give access, right? A door gives access. I give access to the sheepfold. I give access to the. I give access for the sheep to come in to the sheepfold. <clears throat> Verse nine. 
I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. See, the door gives access to salvation. So let me put it together, just initially, and then we'll come to the mediator. I am the light. I am the light of the world. I reveal the truth. I reveal spiritual truth. I reveal the truth that is from heaven, that is from God to you. And only I can do that because I am the light. God is light and I am the light. I reveal God. And to show that, he performs a bona fide miracle. He causes this person to see. But you see how the miracles mean something. They're signs and wonders and powers. And the miracle of the healing of the blind man is a very... magnificent point, a powerful point that he is the light of the world, that he brings the truth, that he reveals God who is light. And the miracle demonstrates what he does spiritually. What he does spiritually is he enlightens the mind. And brings light and life to it. <clears throat> now, as I said, past the landing of the Protestant Reformed Church, he, uh, he, he connects Jesus being the door with his mediatorial <clears throat> role. He says this, With this subject of Christ as the door, we begin this next section on Christ's saving work. Christ the door is the mediator by whom we have access to God. And that's where it gets us, you know, because a door or a gate gives you access to something, to the sheep, to the sheepfold, which represents the church, and the church is the church of 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 God, the church is where we enter into the kingdom of, of heaven, through the church. So, Jesus gives us access to the kingdom of heaven, to God, through the church. Now, it's talking about the sheep pen on earth, so the sheep pen is the, is the church. But the church gives access to heaven, but not just yet, still on earth. So, He's pointing out the fact that this, this access that the door gives into the, uh, the church, into a relationship with God in heaven, ultimately winding us, uh, bringing us to heaven, is, uh, is through the mediator. The, the role that Christ plays as mediator. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know what a mediator does. Do you know what a mediator is? A mediator is defined, you can ask even uh, Alexa knows this, but you know, you can go to a dictionary, you can go to the Greek lexicon, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It means 
basically someone who is uh, mediating two parties. Usually those parties are opposed. The mediator is trying to bring two opposing parties together. That's what a mediator does. Now, what are the two parties that need to be brought together? Obviously, they, the two parties are God and man. The mediator, which is Jesus Christ, has to bring God and man together. And does God oppose man? Yes, God opposes every single fiber of our being. From the day we are conceived in the womb of our mother in sin, as David points out in Psalm 139, to the day we die, whenever that is, God is opposed to every single solitary bit of man. To every thought, to every word, to every deed, he's opposed. And man is also opposed to God. By nature, by fallen nature, every single thought and word and deed is in opposition to God, is in rebellion against God. Oh, yes, we know that people who are not saved talk about God and say they, they know that there is a God and all this stuff, but the God that they believe in is not the God of the Bible. You present to them the God of the Bible and they every time reject it. Hard and fast. If you bring the gospel truth to them, they question it. They hammer at it. They reject it. Man, by nature, is opposed to God every moment of his existence, and God is opposed to him every moment of the man's existence. Or the woman. Or the boy. Or the girl. The mediator going to bring these two together. Therefore, we want to know who this mediator is. What is he? And I just want to read something from page 853, chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession of Faith of Christ the Mediator, Article 2. That's on page 853. It's a, a long paragraph. But uh, you may want to turn to that just to, to look at this for a minute. This is, this is the mediator that we have to bring both parties together, to bring us to God, to bring God to us. There has to be a mediator. And uh, in chapter 8, article 2, says the following. The Son of God... The second person of the Trinity being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities. Therefore, 
yet without sin. Being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, not persons, natures, please remember that. It's a terrible, terrible heresy. Two persons, no. Two distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person. One person, two natures. And the natures, divine nature, God nature, and a human nature, without conversion, though the divine doesn't convert the human into a divine, and the human doesn't convert the divine into the human, two separate distinct, always distinct, never mixed natures. Without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, who's talking to my wife, not fully God and fully man, I know we like to say that, it's very God and very man, or truly God and truly man, not fully God and fully man. But very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Well, obviously it's the only mediator, because who else is one person with two distinct, separate, not confused, not composite, not mixed natures? Now, why is that? Well, you see, if you had a divine person come, you know, from heaven and appear, and you had a human, fully human, fully human, Christ, that's just all man, you know, sort of negotiating things and then bringing God and man together, you have two saviors, see? You, you, you don't want that. You have one Savior, the person of Jesus Christ. But in order to be our Savior, He has to be God, and He has to be made. Why the Son of God? Why not God the Father? Because in order to become a man, He had to be someone's son. See that? You're not born a father. You're born a son. So it had to be the second person of the Trinity, the Son, who became or took on flesh and became a man. That's why it's the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He had to become a son in order to become a man. Now, maybe you've heard about this. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is something that is a little bit new to you. I know you heard about the one person and the two distinct natures, right? And never to be confused. Not two people. Not uh, Christ is uh, the Son of the God, and in, in the one person, he's the Son of God, and he's, he's also a man, but that uh, he is not uh, a, a true man. Because he doesn't have a soul. 
His soul is the divine. No, 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 no. He's a man with a body and a soul, just like us. It says in Hebrew, he was like us in all ways excepting sin. By the way, when you accept sin, I don't think Christ could sin, but a lot of people in the Reformed faith think that Christ, it was possible for Christ to say he didn't sin, but it was possible for, I don't think so. But that's another issue. So that, that mediator had to be one person, two natures. He had to have a God, divine nature, and he had to have a man, a human nature. And that brings God and man together. See? Works. Makes sense. <clears throat> so now, we come to, uh, to relate these two a little bit more. When Jesus says in the chapter 9, that I am the light of the world and heals the blind man to show us the light of the world. He makes us see, just like this blind man sees for the first time and sees immediately, so our salvation is that way, our being born again. We are saved immediately. Immediately we're born again. Immediately we see. Immediately we perceive that, yes, I'm a sinner and I'm saved by the grace of God and Jesus Christ through faith alone. We immediately are made to understand that and see that. Just like this blind man immediately sees. What does he see? And the next chapter tells us what this man sees, that is, what he truly sees. He doesn't just see people. If you read through chapter 9, the full, the full uh, chapter, you will, begin, you will begin to understand that this man did not know at first, but then when Jesus reveals himself, because he sees Jesus for the first time with his own eyes, and Jesus reveals himself as the one who healed him, as the one who is the light, as the one who is from the Father, he believes in him immediately and worships him. In other words, if you go to chapter 10, you see that Jesus is the door. Jesus gives access to the Father. Jesus gives access to God. This man is given sight to see Jesus, to see God for the first time, to see that Jesus is the door, that he gives access to God, that he brings God before his eyes. And that's how these two passages, I think, connect. They connect in other ways, but they connect that, just, that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he means that he gives us perception so that we can see him as the door, that we can see him, just like this blind man saw Jesus for the first time and understood that he gave access to God, we see Jesus, when Jesus being the light of the world, shining upon us, we see Jesus as giving us access to God. And that's how these two things connect, these two passages connect. And so, dear people, what I have just laid out, 
is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I've shown you from these passages how the Jesus being the light, the light of the world, there is no other light, there is no other religion, there is no other philosophy, there is no other way to see God, to come to know God. There's nothing else that is possible, possibly going to be, uh, be available to us because we need a mediator. That's why I think Reverend Lansing, uh, Lanson's uh, connection between Christ the door and the mediator is good because we need that mediator. We need to see Christ the mediator. We need to see Christ giving us access. We need to see him as the door that gives us access to the Father. And there is no other way. And so he talks about in uh, chapter 10 here, uh, referring to the Pharisees and others before them, that with thieves and robbers. He calls them thieves and robbers. Why? Why does he call them thieves and robbers? Because they, they think that you can get to God, that they could get to God in another way, other than through Jesus Christ. They rejected Christ, right? They thought he had a devil. They, they fought him. They wanted to kill him. They didn't want to accept his teaching. They didn't want to accept his person. And so they thought that they could be saved in another way. And that's exactly what's going on to this day. There are so many paths that lead, you know, the old Hindu expression that all paths lead to God. No, they don't. All paths except one lead to hell. They're wrong. And Jesus clearly teaches this by word and example, by miracle and message. That I am the only way, I am the only access to the Father, to heaven. Brothers and sisters, I I, I think that that's easy for us to remember. It's it's difficult. I don't think it's so difficult to articulate. I, I I don't I haven't told you anything new. You know this, and I know you know how to say it. I, but it's hard to say to people because they don't want to hear that. They, they don't want to hear that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. Or if they do say. Well, okay, I believe in Jesus. They want to believe in him in their own manner, in their own, not according to the word. In other words, they, unlike the blind man, do not want to follow the prescription of God's word. They want to follow their own ideas. And that just will not do. And you have to be able to say that to people that you love and care about. And I know you know this. And I want to encourage us all to do what is right in God's sight and share with others this truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life.
everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, we thankful for your word. Your word is truth. We need to focus our attention on it at all times. We need to, uh, to uh, understand it. The more we understand it, the more we will love it. And the more we will be able to obey it, uh, communicate it and, and obey it, exemplify it in our lives and, and to others. For, for we want to be used of thee to, to serve others. To, to serve others in, in a salvific way. To save others from a terrible, terrible, absolutely horrible future. To bring others to Christ. May you give access to Lord Jesus, to our family members, to our friends and to our neighbors that we know and that we like, that we pray for, that we want to see saved. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.